This morning, it's a joy to come before you and be able to present this message. I've looked forward to this day and this, this message in particular. We're in a series, if you're just joining us new or guest this morning, we're in a series of men of faith. We've talked thus far about two by contrast. And you say, well, that didn't sound like men of faith to me. Well, sometimes you've got to put it against the darkness of faithlessness to be able to see the brightness of true faith. We talked about Samson, who was a man who had great potential, but squandered it on his fleshly lust. We talked about the people of Babel who could have done truly marvelous things, but they wanted to build a name for themselves. Their faith was not in the Lord. Their faith was in their techno-knowledge way back there in Genesis 11. And how much more is that true in a generation today? The reason we're studying men of faith is because this fall we're going to embark on a great journey of faith. So I'm not going to tell you about today. That would be the sermon. But we're going to do something this fall to once again walk by faith for a number of weeks and months and probably years to say, God, let us be faithful as you've led us thus far. Help us not to quit now. You didn't bring us here to stop. You brought us here to launch us into all that you have for the future. And so it would be only right that we study men of faith to see what has God done in lives past to better understand what he wanted to do in us. If I mentioned the name Abraham, many of you would say, well, I know Abraham. Well, you, you ought to know something about him. Very few people had 14 chapters of the Bible dedicated to him. If you start in Genesis 12 and read for 14 chapters, you're going to know Abraham. If I mention Abraham, you say, well, I, I remember he was an old man before he had a baby. Others say, I remember he was a man of great faith. I remember he had a beautiful wife named Sarah. He had to lie about her because he thought if they found out she was his wife, they'd kill him and marry her down in, in Egypt. We know that Abraham was a man who had one son of promise and one son not of promise, of flesh. He blessed both. One was Ishmael, who likewise has become many nations, great nations. And then he blessed Abraham, who became the nation through which the covenant of God would be fulfilled. And so this morning, as we examine Abraham, I want you to look primarily at Hebrews chapter 11, because I don't want to study 14 chapters. We'd be here a while. Hebrews chapter 11 are the cliff notes of all that God did in Abraham in just a few verses, Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to get just a snapshot, and I'm not even going to read all of that now. Hebrews chapter 11, look with me beginning in verse 8. Here's the faith of a man that was a foreigner, an alien. Did you ever hear anything today about immigration? <laughs> did you know Abraham was one? Look what it says here. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called went out to a place he was going to receive an inheritance. He went out, Hebrews 8, 11 says. He went out not knowing where he was going. Anybody here know the, every step of your life before you ever started out? Did God give you a plan at 21 and say, here's exactly what's going to happen? Uh-uh. You have a detour you didn't foresee? You have a train wreck you didn't see? Any of you have a sorrow you didn't see? Aren't you glad he doesn't tell us everything? He just says, walk with me. Abraham went out not knowing, it says in verse 8, he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith, he stayed. Anybody, anybody here know somebody that used to walk with us by faith and dropped out because of some something? They didn't come see me in the hospital. You know, they didn't speak to me when I came back after three weeks being out. They didn't talk to me when we had coffee. They ignored me. You know, those deep things. Do you know anybody like that? By faith, Abraham stayed. There's something to courageous living when you stay by the stuff. I've known a lot of people that started. I don't know everybody. I know many that didn't stay. The thing I like says about Paul, he said, I finished the course. 
Look what it says in Hebrews 11:9. By faith, Abraham stayed, and not because he was welcome there as a foreigner. He was a foreigner. He was an immigrant, an alien, illegal maybe because he didn't have papers, only a command of God. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. With Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. Now turn, if you would, quickly, because we're going to come back to Hebrews 11 in a minute. I want to show you the three words I want to focus on this morning. We know he was called of God. He got up. Go to Genesis, real quickly. Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. I want to show you one, one verse. Or, uh, Genesis, uh, excuse me. Genesis 14, 13. Genesis 14, 13. If you remember the study of Abraham, there was a war. And in that war, Lot was taken captive. It was five, four kings versus five kings. And the four kings took, uh, took, uh, took Lot away, captured and took Lot away. And a survivor came back. If you read Genesis 14, came back and told Abraham, they've got Lot. So, so look at 14, thir- 14, 13. And I'm just going to read just the first phrase. One of the survivors came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now, that's strange. You say, no, it's not. Wait a minute, yeah, it is. See, today we speak of Hebrews because we know who the Hebrews are, but in Genesis, Hebrews were not yet. Jews were not yet. Abraham is the father of the Jews. Abraham still just has a nephew. But it says here, he came to Abram, the Hebrew. (laughs) How can you come to a person that's not in a nation that is yet? You can come to the person, but why is he tied to a nation that is not yet? Why didn't you say Abram the nomad? Abram the shepherd, the, 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 the shepherd and cattle owner? Abram the man of great wealth? No, Abram the Hebrew. Here's a man who got up and went when God called him. He did what God said, but by Genesis he's already named the father of the nation that is not yet. I find that interesting. It, literally, the word Hebrew, most believe, comes from Aramaic abar. Uh, abaru. What is an abaru? Abar means from across the way. It literally was spoken of Abraham, that man who's not from here. You know, it's like you and I going up to the Bronx and talking. They say, where are you from? <laughs> I say, from Brooklyn. They don't believe me, you, you know. Why? why? My, my Tennessee accent gives me, well, you're not from here. Abar means from over there, literally means from across the river, Euphrates. He's that guy that came across the Euphrates to our land. Someone said it means across the Jordan, because he actually entered into to the land of promise, crossing the Jordan. But more than likely, those who knew him, because they were not of that region, would call the Euphrates the great river and said, he's not from here, he came from across the river. He's across the tracks, he's from that other group. He's not one of us, he's a foreigner. You ever thought in Scripture how many times God used a foreigner? In fact, if we just read about Lot, when he went down to those wicked cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, when the angels visited the city, and at night the men of the city came and knocked on the door and said, we want to know those men in your house sexually. Today's modern group that wants to verify that homosexuality is not a sin says the sin of, uh, sin of Lot was he was not hospitable. The, the city of Lot was not hospitable to the guests in Lot's house. And that's why God destroyed the city. Boy, you've got to stretch a lot of stuff to get to that. It says the men were outside pounding on the door. We want those men. It wasn't hospitality they were looking for. <laughs> In fact, the scripture is pretty blunt. It said that we may have sex with them. 
And the Bible says when Lot said, please don't take these men. Now this is bizarre. We don't have time to get into it. He said, I've got two daughters who've never known a man. Take them. Now for us, that's, we're not going there today, but that's a weird, that's weird. But, but it says when he said that, they said, who are you as a foreigner to judge us? You see, there's something about the person that's not one of us, whatever that means. We're, you're not from here. We have a problem. In Scripture, it's often the foreigner that is their hero. Joseph was a foreigner, sold by his brothers into slavery, taken from a pit to a prison, from a prison to the home of Pharaoh where he was second in command. And it was a foreigner who provided the administrative capability to feed nations in a time of great famine, a foreigner. I think in 2 Kings chapter 5, there's a great champion warrior. And this champion warrior was from Syria, Naaman. He had all these accolades, medals, battle scars, wonderful attributes, trophies from the king, but he was a leper. And there's a little slave girl living in his household, a mistress to his wife, a helper to his wife. And she said, if only my master could go back to Samaria, there's a prophet in the land. Wouldn't that be something if that were said of Broken Era America or Tulsa or of Oklahoma or of the United States? For that matter, there's a prophet in the land. So if he could go to him as a foreigner, I'm telling you, there's, in my country, there's not idols. There's a God who would help him through his prophet Elisha. Is a little foreigner, a little foreign girl, a little slave girl. Made all the difference in the world, life of, life of Naaman. I think of Moses. Moses, the word Moses means taken from the water. Abram means from across the water. Why? An awful lot happened in bodies and in and around bodies of water. By the way, Naaman had to dip himself in water, dirty, muddy water, get rid of the dirty muddiness of leprosy to come out whole in God's power. You remember Moses was a foreigner. Moses was one of those other people, not of Pharaoh's house, not an Egyptian. And, and, and he said, kill all those Jewish people. Get, get rid of all those babies. They're overrunning the country. And Moses' mama said, I can't, I can't bear with the thoughts of my son being murdered. Let's just cast him on the water. <laughs> Let's cast him on the water and trust God's promise. And who but Pharaoh's own daughter. From the very mouth of the one who ordered execution from his household came Moses' redemption. From the water, a foreigner grew up to be the one who would stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go. The Bible says of Abram, you're not one of us. And it, it, was, not a, it was not an insult. It is a, it, it a compliment. May I ask you, when's the last time at your job somebody said, you don't, you're not one of us. Did you take as a compliment? You, you don't cuss like we do. You don't tell the stories we do. I don't know why you won't go out drinking with us. You're not one of us. Now, some of you have compromised. That won't be said of you. Sadly, you've blended in as an alien among the aliens. <laughs> but some of you have said, no, I'll not compromise my walk with God or my witness. And when I go to work and when I go to parties and when I go places, automatically they're courteous, but they're not open. Because you, you you're not one of us. You won't be going out later where we go. You always act like you're holier than thou. You don't participate like you're some goody somebody. Don't, don't even act like you belong here. You'll never be one of us. Listen, you ought to go home and say, dear God, thank you. There's enough salt in me that I irritate open iniquity. 
It was said of Abraham, you're not from here, Abaru. Abram was called a Hebrew before there were Hebrews because the word actually means not from around here, one from across the water. I want to just share two or three things quickly. First of all, this thing of Abraham's faith if you're going to walk with God, the first thing you ought to be sure in faith is there's a leaving and a cleaving. When we have a wedding in this church, you don't, think a, you don't even think about when the pastor says, for this cause shall man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife. That just kind of rolls off. Have you ever thought what that means? Oh, you mamas have. That's why you cry. That little girl not going to be your, she, she not, she's not my baby anymore. She's going to go off with that ugly man. I'll never see her again. And then two years, three years, don't they have the most wonderful grandchildren? How's it that sorry dog is now such a hero? We're not asking for testimonies. You know it's true. See, the truth is there's something harsh about you got to leave. It's harsh when a daddy says after he's medicated, clothed, educated, transported, helped, fed, everywhere in the world, that girl. And in a moment when the preacher said, who gives her, who what? Who gives her, who what? You giving away your girl? You don't even think about that. But you would in any other setting, wouldn't you? Who gives this woman away? Do you understand if you're going to go with God, you cannot receive if you've got both hands full of junk. You know, it's really hard. Some people, well, I just can't seem to get the blessings of God. Well, what have you got in your hand? Well, I want to take this with me, and I just couldn't give that sin up. I, I love this attitude, and I really want to keep these friends, and I don't want to give that up. And I, so, will you wonder why you can't grasp anything of God? You've got to let something go. My grandson loves those little Hot Wheels cars, and every time I reach out to take his hand, I've got to take a knob. Because in this hand's normally two, and then this one's one, and I can pick which knob do I want to hold. He won't let go. Now, he will if I say, I've got some candy. Boom, what? <laughs> I like him. <laughs> you know why you can't many times get the gift of God? What's that in your hand? See, there has to be a leaving if there's going to be a cleaving. I found out a new phrase. When, when God said to Abraham, the Hebrew has a different meaning than English. Abraham, get up from where you are and go to a land I'll show you. Get up and go. In Hebrew, the nuance is different. English can translate the word, but not the feeling of the word. In Hebrew, when he says get up and go, it means, Abraham, I've got something for your benefit. Go for your own benefit. Get up and go toward your good. Abraham, begin your own journey toward God. Boy, that's good, isn't it? What an invitation. Wouldn't, in a moment, when we stand for the invitation, I'd like to say to you, would you get up from where you are and begin your journey with God? Would you get up for your own good and come and begin your own journey toward God and with God? That, that's what he was saying to him. And to be present with the faith, to, to be a person of faith, it means you respond when you hear God call. You, you don't wait till God has to say it the third time. It's something wrong if a child of God who says, I sure do love my Lord, he has to call you and say, I've called and called and called and you will not answer me. I called and you would not listen. I called and gave you my promise and you would not receive it. But Lord, when, when did we see you naked and hungry and thirsty? And when you did it to one of the least of these, that was me. When, when did you call early in the morning when you rose up and said you're going to seek me? You were so busy to read those three verses and check off, read my Bible today. 
I had so much I wanted to share with you from that text, but you wouldn't take time to listen. I will respond when God calls me. I'll get up from where I am. You, you know, there's a day when Baptists were known for always talking about heaven and the sweet by and by. Our songs would be about heaven. Our sermons would be about heaven. Our sermons, uh, our teaching would be about don't miss the glory of heaven. Get saved so you can be in heaven today. We, want, we have preachers preaching about this is your best life now. God help us. And there's so many people who've got such deep roots in life now. Oh, I finally got the car I want. I've gotten a home. Oh, I just love my home. I, woo, we, we, finally, we finally got our kid in that school. We're just so happy. Your roots are so deep here. You have no longings. And that's why so often in a Christian funeral anymore, there's such great tears because we've lost sight of heaven. Abraham said, listen, God called me to get up and go from where I am. I am not here. And by the way, he didn't take a, he didn't take a U-Haul trailer and 14 moving vans. He just had a tent. When you live in a tent, you're not going to be real permanent anywhere. In Oklahoma, one good wind and you are no more. The Bible says when God called him, he got up from where he was. He left his comfort zone. He desired to follow above all else, and he went where God led him. You can't ever stay where you are and go with God. I think the blind man pulled us alone. First thing after Jesus put mud in his face, he said, get up. <laughs> well, Master, there's nobody helping me. Get up. You know where the water is. You can hear the trickle of it from where you're seated. He didn't have to walk seven blocks. Get up. Well, Master, I, I was so comfortable and you put mud in my face. Good night. Get up. How bad do you want to get over your blindness? How, how tired are you of your wickedness? How, sor how, how sorry are you for your sinfulness or distance from the Lord? And you don't have to be a murderer to be sinful. You don't have to be, a, you don't have to be an embezzler to be sinful. It could be negligence. How, how weary of you saying, there's something between me and God. I will get up from where I am and do whatever he tells me to do. I'll do it. The Bible says when God said to Abraham, get up, he got up. And in the process of leaving, guess what? He discovered that all things were made new. His focus was new. As now in the Lord, he had a new direction to a land that God would show him. He had a new purpose. I'm obeying what God told me, though I do not know the end from the beginning. And he gave him a new vision. That's what scripture says. Listen, I love that old song. You know it. Every time I have a chance to sing a chorus, we sing it. Turn your eyes on Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This crowd will remember it. The next crowd won't. You remember the name George Beverly Shea? Shea used to, George Beverly Shea used to sing a marvelous song. I'd rather have Jesus. Remember that? I don't know if we can sing that anymore. Because here's what it says. I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. Really? Now, now we're in church. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have him than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain. Or be held in sin's red sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today you see here's something that I've noticed happens when people really leave their past I mean really leave their past when they really leave their past they begin to hate the things that remind them of their past 
See, one of, the cure, one of the sure signs whether or not you're really saved, if you still like to dabble in sin, then you still love the world more than you love the master. You can't serve two. I didn't say that. Jesus did. You're going to hate one. You're going to hate one and love the other, despise one and cling to the other. When a person's really saved, before long they start saying, everything about that life that I was, I hate because of what it did to me and the pain it caused my family and the ruin it brought on my life and what it did to my children and what it did to my parents. I hate that. But when you say, no, I just kind of don't want to do that. But occasionally, you know, I, I do like to go back at, well, then put your foot in one kingdom or the other. You see, if something's really wounded you and stung you and hurt you, the last thing you want to do is go back and say, do it again. Please, I, I didn't get it hurt bad enough the first time. I didn't hurt my family's name and reputation bad enough the first time. Let me go back for one more dip. What did, the Bible, what did that old song say? The things of earth grow strangely dim. Why? Because what I have now is so much better. We used to hear people say, well, you know, if you're going to go with God, you've got to give some things up. I never gave up anything better than what I got with Jesus. I don't want to have one thing I'd go back and claim. Not one. Not one. The Bible says in Jesus Christ, when you go with him, you're free. Secondly, faith very quickly makes us strangers. I want you to think with me. The more you and I are like him, the more we're like that people. You're not from here. You're from over there. It, wouldn't it be marvelous if when you go to work in the morning... You had such a joy in your face and a laughter in your voice and a spirit of, of holiness and richness and purity and, and just felt good when everybody else coming in with a hangover and feeling mean and feeling, I mean, feeling bad and acting mean. Wouldn't it be something, boy, you don't act like I do, but then you don't live the life I live. And y'all say, praise God, that's true. <laughs> y'all listening? See, see they, they, the world thinks it's fun. If I can go out Friday night and get so drunk for two days, I don't know anything. And then Monday, I began to know stuff again, and it's painful. You know, I've never had to ask anybody, what did I do last night at dinner? They said, you ate enough to kill a mule. I know that, but I mean, what else did I do? I, 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 that's a given. I mean, what did I do? I've never had to ask anybody. You know why? I act this way sober. I've gone into places, and people come over and say, are you okay? I say, yeah, I'm just happy. <laughs> well, evidently, you all don't go there either. But anyway, I... <laughs> See, see, when you more you're like him, the less you're like the world. The more you're like him, the closer you get to him. Do you remember when Moses spent 40 days with him? It, people didn't know what he'd done. He came and said, well, you want to know, I've been up there praying, and I was, re I was reading the law he gave me, and I just feel so much better after 40 days. It was a really good experience. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? Y'all ever read Exodus? When he came down, what happened? Oh, my, where have you been, Moses? Get away from me. Why? He reflected the company he kept. His face was radiant. See, the more you walk with Christ, the more you don't look like you're from around here. Is it easy to spot people that are not from around here? Yeah. <laughs> we are blessed in our, in our city even, but certainly in big cities in America. You've got people from Asia and Africa and all these other places. <clears throat> I, I go to places like you do, and I'll see a... Muslim woman, I don't have to see what she's covered and got her head covered. And I don't say, Are you from Alabama? <laughs> I hear Hispanic people talking. I don't say, You sound just like you from Tennessee. <laughs> 
happy bueno taco to you. I don't, you know, I don't do that. I don't do that. Why? They're easy to spot. Why? You're not from around here. Do you understand when people look at us, they all say, you're not from around here, are you? I've watched you. Oh, you work beside me, and, and you get the same assignments I get, and you have to deal with the same people I deal with. And you get the same disgusting, angry people on the phone I get, but you don't act like we act. You're not one of us. Boy, what a compliment. And what's said of Abram, the Hebrew, the Abaru, the one from across the river? He, he had never settled in here. He's not one of us. He stood out. And can I tell you some ways he stood out? Canaan was a city of wall, a place of wall cities. First of all, a place of cities. Abraham was a country boy. He, he lived in tents. He had sheep and cattle and servants. He, he lived out in the open. He suddenly moves to a city, and he doesn't say, let me go f- see if I can find me a townhouse. I, I want to get me a really big place with a courtyard. Sarah, let's go, let's go see what we can find here for, for our budget. He said, I'm not living in there. I, I'm living out here in this tent. <laughs> You don't think the people, when he came into the city, said, oh, that's that guy who lives out there on the edge of town in the, in the tent. And isn't it interesting? When he got into the area at Shechem, he built an altar. Why, God's forever. But he lived in a tent which says, I'm only passing through. Are you building up your kingdom here? Or are you sending it on ahead for there? Is your greatest accolade all you've achieved here? Or is the greatest thing that be said of you the whole time he or she lived here? They were never residents here. They were on an outpost as an ambassador of the Lord God of glory. And today, they've gone to claim their reward forever. The Bible says he lived in a tent. He didn't want a house in Canaan. He didn't want a penthouse in Canaan. He didn't want a condo in Canaan. He said he lived in a tent. Now, don't think he was aloof. He traded with them, did business with them, probably sold them goat's milk, maybe goat cheese, maybe a few lambs to slaughter. I don't know. I know he bought a cave one time from them because he had to bury his wife. And the Bible says in Genesis 14, he even commandeered his 318 trained soldiers, slaves, to go out and fight alongside them. So much so, the king of Sodom came and said, you can have all the possessions, just give me your people, give me the people back. He said, I don't want the possessions. I don't want it to ever be said, you made me rich. (laughs) We know he fought with them. We know he traded with them. But he refused to be called one of them. And that's what he said of Moses. He lived among the Egyptians, but he refused to be called one of them, for he wanted to be called and numbered among the people of God. By the way, what does your registry say when it says, where are you from? Abram was Abaru from the other side. That's where we came from. Abram was on a mission And the truth is, you and I are on a mission. Last thing is, faith remains even when you don't see the results. That's the hardest one of all. I'm no different than you. I just get the chance to preach. But we feel the same things, experience the same things, hurt the same ways, have many of the same questions. But have you noticed in life we always, when somebody is healed from an illness, we say, praise God they were healed. And now we've added a phrase, when they're not healed, well, they really were healed, now they're whole. Well, I know what you mean. But isn't it funny that when they get a physical healing, we believe there's a direct intervention. 
when they get a eternal healing go with the Lord we still use the phraseology but in our hearts we think well why did Jane or Jim or John recover and my spouse or my friend didn't I, I don't I don't know other than there's a sovereign God who has our steps ordered by him but here's what I think is interesting do you know God has made promises that you and I will never live to see in this land you understand for a season I get to walk and uphold the banner of God and the promises of God and the reality of God and the truths of God but the day will come when I drop the torch or hand the torch off to somebody else and this old flesh will be decayed my spirit will be with the Lord till I get that new body and I may never see all the things that I've dreamed for this property or this church goodness he's let me see a whole lot more now never thought of would. and I got a whole bunch more visions I'd love to see accomplished but I may I, I may I may never see them doesn't make bad God a bad God. just means I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it through somebody else. I want you to look with me in Hebrews chapter 11 just a minute because I think we need to remember what Abraham learned from God. Look in Hebrews chapter 11. I want to go back to verse 8 real quickly. And then by faith, Hebrews 11, 8, by faith Abraham, when he was called, he was over there across the river Euphrates. He was called by God. And notice that there's no delay, it's an immediate comma, and he obeyed comma. It's picturing here the, the instant obedience. He was called, he obeyed, he went out to a place he was going to receive his inheritance, not knowing where he was going. By faith he stayed where God put him. He stayed in the land of promise, living in tents there, not permanent. Not permanent, but with his son still living in tents, co-heirs of the same promise that God said, I'm going to give you the land. For he was looking, now look at this, why, why did he stay and what happened? He was looking really to a city. Well, Canaan had cities. No, 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 not that kind of a city. I'm looking the one whose architect and builder is God. That's not Canaan. And by the way, that's not Tulsa, Broken Era, New York, Chicago, Detroit, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was barren, she received power to conceive. Look at it. Received the power. She didn't, she didn't plant a seed of faith and it came true. She didn't have enough positive thinking. She just willed herself into pregnancy. She received power to conceive offspring even though she was past the age since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Did you see that? At night he said, you're going to have a baby. She laughed. She named Isaac Laughter because she said, boy, I never, I never thought. But I knew the one who promised was faithful. I knew the one who promised was faithful. And therefore, from one man, Abraham, in fact, from one as good as dead, he's 100 years old. From man as good as dead came offspring as numerous as the stars of heaven, as innumerable as the grains of sand by the seashore. And they all died in faith. Now, wait, 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 wait. Verse 13 is painful. These all died in faith, well that's expected, but wait a minute, what does that next phrase say? Without having received, surely that's not right. These died in faith without having received promises. Does your Bible say that? I thought if God promised, it meant I was going to get it. You plan it, you get it. You believe it, you receive it. Yes? You're in Tulsa now, come on. I got to go to a different church. This one isn't responsive. 
Maybe your Bible said, does your Bible say that? It says in mine, they died in faith without receiving the promise. But they saw them from a distance. And they greeted those promises. And they confessed, we're not from around here. We're foreigners. In fact, we live in tents. Here's one, 66 years, 65 years old. We're temporary residents on the earth. And those who say such things make it clear they're seeking a homeland. If they'd been remembering the land they came from, they'd have had the opportunity to return. They weren't thinking of that land, verse 16. They now aspire to a better land. They're looking for their heavenly home, a heavenly land. Therefore, God's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Growing up in Tennessee and Alabama, there used to be a whole lot of gospel singing quartets. And I remember one of, one of those songs that always sang, This world is not my home. I'm only passing through. Can I ask you a question? Anybody ever call you an alien? Foreigner? Ask you, where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? Who are your people? Anybody ever ask you? Can I ask you spiritually? Did anybody ever say to you, you're not like us? Did you pooch your lip and say, well, I can correct that. Let me backslide like you. Or did you go home and say, praise be to God. There's enough light in me that shines through the darkness to say, I am not a child of the night. And there's enough salt in me to say, I'm not as bland as the world that gathers in broad streets of destruction headed to, to wrath. There's enough of God in me that wherever I am, I'm an outpost, an embassy, an ambassador, an envoy of the King of glory. Today, you and I are gathered as envoys and ambassadors to get a word from our King to go out into a world and say, we are not from here. We belong to the Lord God of glory. May it be said of us. Would you stand with me? I don't know where you're from. I don't know all of your names. I sure don't know your background or I don't know your present situation with God, but I sure would like to talk to you a minute. If you would say, Brother Nick, I'm a foreigner when it comes to God. I feel distant. I don't feel like I'm one of his. I am from across the river, but I'm living still in the land of darkness. I've never crossed through the waters of redemption. I don't know what it is to be saved and, and transformed and changed. I don't know what that's like, Brother Nick. I, I don't know what it is to be welcomed in the presence of God. In fact, just coming to church makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Dear friend, you don't have to be that way. Please believe me. The Lord God came in Jesus Christ, sent His Son in Jesus Christ to say to all who would believe, you can, be, you can be different, you can be changed, not by our might. If you could will yourself into being better, we, don't, we wouldn't need Jesus. Listen, I have no strength or power, you have none. Our enemy is absolutely, absolutely stealth in being able to deceive us. But those whom God has called and those who God convicts, He draws. 
And those he draws, he wants to save. And all who come in the name of Jesus say, I want this salvation. I desire to respond to God's Holy Spirit. I want to be a child of God. I want to confess my sins because I sense God calling me. And I'm going to get up from where I am. And I'm going to make my way to the Lord because that first step of faith will begin a journey that will ultimately end at the throne of God. I don't want to sit anymore in this situation. I want to get up and go at the command of God. So I'm going to ask you today, there's some of you right now that need to get up from where you are. Get out from where you are. Pastors, if you're in the room, Rocky's here at the front to receive ladies. Pastors, if you're in the room, come and stand right here. You say, Brother Nick, I'm ready to get up and get out from this row and come to Christ. I'm ready. I'm sick of the way things have been. I want to know Him. I'm coming now. I'm turning away from my past. I'm going to turn my face to Jesus, and I'm going to do what He said and take Him at His word. I'm going to ask you right now, will you come? I need Jesus. That's all you got to say to a pastor. I need Jesus. That's not hard. A child can say that. I'm going to ask you, will you step out from where you are and come put your hand in the hand of a pastor? If you're a lady, you want to talk to a lady, Rocky is here, our director of women's ministries. Come and talk to her. Maybe you have another decision to make. You know what that is, baptism, church membership. Can I just talk to us as brothers and sisters that know Christ? Are there some of us that need to say, Father, I've been distant from you. And and I'm afraid I've been more counted with the company of the world than the company of Christ. There are people at work that desperately need Jesus, but I've not been different enough and salty enough to make them thirsty for living water. I need to ask you to forgive me. I want to renew my walk with you. Will now be a great time. If you want to come and pray here at the kneeling benches, you can come right now. While our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you can come now and pray. Maybe you take your mate by the hand, or maybe you go find a special friend in the congregation and say, pray with me. I, I want to be that outpost of the kingdom at my office, in my school, in my business, in my home. Pray for me. Lord God, you know every heart. When you called Abraham a Hebrew, we just think it means the designation is a Jew, but it means somebody not from around here. He, he lived in Canaan, but he was not a Canaanite. He, he lived around the cities of Canaan, but he always lived in a tent outside. I, I fear that we've made ourselves really comfortable in this generation, but you called us to come out from among them and be separate. So I pray today those who hear your voice will do just that. And today we'll come to Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing. You need to come. The altar's open. Open for you. Will you come right now while we sing? Won't you do it? Come on.